How's everybody feeling today? Dads, how are y'all doing today? Come on. You feel good? Thomas out there on the couch in the lobby. Thank you for the bacon, my friend. Oh, my stars. He sells it, by the way. Just so you know, you can buy your own bacon if you'd like. Uh, you can talk to Thomas about all that. But that came from his farm. It was healthy. That was healthy bacon right there. Uh, at least it was before you put it in. <laughs> I, I just lied. I, I might get struck by lightning up here. Uh, but that was super good. Dads, I hope you have felt celebrated today. I hope that you have... Um, good night, I was crying. No, my eyes are all dry. Um, I hope that you were able to take a nap. I hope you didn't have to mow, all right? Uh, just a little tip here. If you're going to mow this week, mow on Tuesday. It's going to be really cool outside. So that's what I'm mowing. Uh, but uh, we want to honor you. Thank you so much for who you are in your family, who you are to your children. And if you are not a dad in here, not everyone in here is a dad yet, you can be a dad right now. There are people that need a spiritual father in their lives, and you can always be that. And so step up and be a spiritual dad, even if you're not a dad of an actual kid yet, because, uh, man, there's so many people out there that need a spiritual father. So uh, anyway, hey, we're, uh, I got one thing I want to share before we get going with week two of Take the Land. This little square bothers me when it's not over there. Um, and uh, I wanted to let you know something, okay? Um, what I'm going to teach about tonight, we are putting it into practice, okay? And uh, I want you to know that as a church, we are putting this into practice. We are choosing to trust God in a scenario where it doesn't feel like it makes any sense. Okay, so here's what we're doing. We are going to be meeting on Sunday mornings starting in September, okay? Sunday night church has been awesome, but good night. I want to meet on Sunday mornings. I think everybody in here would like to meet on Sunday mornings. Um, But here's the faith part. We don't have a place to meet on Sunday mornings. This place is occupied on Sunday mornings. It's been amazing. Uh, Pastor Jason, the whole church, his volunteers have been unbelievable, by the way. Uh, We're going to do something really special for them when we leave uh, in September. But we don't have a place to meet, but we know God is calling us to do that in September. And I believe God's going to provide us a place to meet in September. And listen, I hope it's free. That would be great. Even if it's not free, we just need a physical blank space to set up church in and have church in on Sunday mornings um, starting in September. So I was talking, I had too much bacon. Now I'm like not going to burp and on the microphone, but I want to really bad. So um, anyway, and there's still bacon out there and I'm just, that's all I can think about right now. So here's what we're asking you guys to do. We asked our team to do this starting today is uh, at 7.14 a.m. and 7.14 p.m. Okay, so twice a day, I want to ask you guys every day, Until you get word that we have a place to meet on Sunday mornings, I want you to spend 30 seconds and ask that God would provide us a space to meet on Sunday mornings. So uh, we're getting that from, I think it's 2 Chronicles 714. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then then God says he will do amazing things, right? So at 714 a.m., 714 p.m., set an alarm on your phone, a reminder on your phone every day. And if you're with your spouse, if you're with someone that's at this church, look at them and go, hey, let's pray right now. 714, God, would you please provide our church a place to meet on Sunday mornings? Amen. That's all I'm asking you to do. But I do believe in the power of prayer. And I do believe God has it, and we're going to ask for it. And so would you guys help us and partner with us and do that 714 a.m. and p.m.? Come on. Somebody, y'all help us do that? Okay, great. Perfect. So, uh, because here's the deal. 
Sometimes God asks you to do something and he waits for you to maybe take the first step. We're going to talk about that exact idea tonight, but we're continuing a series called Take the Land. We started it last week. And if you weren't here last week, if you weren't watching online last week, uh, we talked about how we look at the story of Joshua and how God chose Joshua to lead the people of Israel, the whole nation, like over a million people into the promised land. And the people of Israel have been wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness for 40 years. And finally, it was time for them to step into the promised land. And so God looks at Joshua. He says, Joshua, you're the man now. Moses is dead. You're the guy. You're going to do this. And, and he said, you are going to take the land. You are going to take this promised land. You weren't intended to live in the wilderness forever. You actually have a better, I've prepared a better place for you, but it's going to require you to work. It's going to require you, uh, it's going to require something of you. And so uh, you are to be obedient, understand that I am with you and you're to take this land. And so last week we talked about what it means to take the land. If you're going to take the land in your life to what God's calling you to, the promised land that he has set aside for you, you have to identify what that is. For some of you, uh, you, you might think like, man, my marriage, I'm going to take the land in my marriage. I'm going to step into a better marriage, right? You have to identify. Maybe for you, it's your mental health. Man, I'm going to call the doctor this week. I'm going to set up some counseling. I'm going to go get on some medication. I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to share this, get this off my chest. You have to identify what's the land that God's calling you to take in your life. Then you have to walk with courage. You have to understand that you might not feel like doing these things. You might be afraid to do these things, but God is calling you to do it afraid, right? Do it despite how you feel and, and, and step into this place where God has you. And he told Joshua three times in four verses, whenever that happens in the Bible, uh, God is going, hello, hey, uh, be strong and courageous. That's what he was doing for Joshua. He was telling him, hey, be strong, be courageous. I know how you feel, but be strong, be courageous. He had to walk courageously. And the last thing, we all had these white flags, okay? If you weren't here, you missed it. It was really cool. You got to come every week because you don't know what you're going to miss. But we had all these little bitty white flags and everyone came down and took a flag and they wrote on these little flags the land that they were going to take. Because when you plant a flag in the ground, when you say, hey, enemy, that land is no longer yours. This is God's land now, and we're going to fight for it, and we're going to do something about it. That's what we talked about last week. Well, this week, we're going to continue the story of Joshua. We're going to pick up right where we left off, and Joshua is now, he has the entire nation of Israel, and they are camping out on the banks of the Jordan River. And here's what we know, is that the side that they were on, where they were camping, was the wilderness, and on the other side of the Jordan River was the promised land. And the only thing they had to get through was the Jordan River. As soon as they could cross over the Jordan River, they would finally be in a permanent home. They would finally be in the place that God had always wanted them to be. And when I say river, you guys might be thinking of like the Tennessee River. It's so beautiful. It's actually pretty calm. You might be thinking of something like this, right? Like if you drive to Chattanooga, that drive is so beautiful. You'll go through all the, you know, the, those might be lakes. I have no idea. But we think of, excuse me, we think of rivers looking something like this. It's something that you would take your boat out on. You'd go fishing out on. You would like have some fun and mess around and stuff like that. Unless you live in Knoxville, that river's gross. Don't ever go on that. You'll come out with like a third arm, okay? So, but you think of something like this. But the Bible actually talks about the Jordan River was actually in flood season. It was actually like really flooded. 
the, the actual banks of the river were where it said the water was swollen. It was going above and beyond those banks. And actually, a lot of people think it didn't look like this. It looked an awful lot like this. It looked like whitewater rapids. Like it was flowing like crazy. Uh, I don't know about you guys. When the flood happened years ago, uh, I was stuck on y'all's road back there, St. Blaise, right? And uh, I tell you, when water's flowing in one direction really strongly, you can't walk in it. I tried twice and almost died in the flood. That's another story for another time. But I'm telling you, this type of river, it looked like this, it, at least in my brain, how I remember it, it looked a lot like this, right? And how many of you have ever actually been whitewater rafting before? Anybody? Okay. Almost everybody. Come on. Look at that. We grew up going to camp and in high school, we would go whitewater rafting. Now, how many of you have fallen out of the boat while you've whitewater rafted? Okay. Me too. All right. So the first time I went, my guide actually jumped off the boat to have some fun. And I was in ninth grade. My frontal lobe was not fully developed at this point, And I was not making good decisions. And I'm like, I'm going to jump too. So I jumped out of this boat and all of a sudden, it went from being like 100% fun to like 10% fun, 90% like I'm going to poop my pants right now, right? Like I, I, this is terrifying. It's very scary. Why? Because when you fall out of a boat going down a rapid, you learn real quick that you have zero control over where you're going. I mean, that river is taking you wherever that river wants to take you. You can't swim out of it. You can't do anything. All you can do is float and pray that you don't get stuck on a rock. I mean, that's literally all you can do. It's terrifying. Well, the people of Israel, God had them come, and he had them camp right next to something that looked like this for three days. And they knew that they had to cross somehow, cross this to get into the promised land, to get into the space that God had already given them. And they were starting to add some stuff up going, can you swim? I can't swim. Can you swim? Like, do you think we, I don't think we can get a, did you bring your kayak? I didn't bring my kayak, you know, like, I don't know how we're going to get from here to here. I don't know, like, I can't, we can't, I can't put my kids in this. They didn't have life jackets back then. They couldn't build a bridge. They couldn't go around. They had no other way. They had to walk through the river in order to get to the promised land. And so they start adding some stuff up, and they're thinking, there's no way this is going to happen. Well, we're going to pick up in the story now. It's found in Joshua chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're basically going to go through this whole chapter. And I need to tell you, I had another message about 75% written. And yesterday morning, I woke up and thought, that is not the message I need to give people. So I scrapped it and wrote this yesterday. So I'm typically a lot more prepared than I am today. So y'all are just getting something raw. Y'all cool with that? Okay, great. I can't promise it's going to be any good, but I'm going to try my best. All right. So here we go. This is Joshua chapter three, starting in verse one. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, that's like over a million people, by the way. Think about that. They left the Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing, okay? Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to all the people. So Joshua tells the officers, hey, tell these people these things. This is very important. He says, when you see the Levitical priests... The priests, you have to understand, they had to wear these special outfits. They had to be set apart. They had to distinguish themselves from everybody else. Think about, these were like the pastors back in the day. They ran the services. They ran the church they, or the temple or the tent, I guess, is what they had. They would do all this stuff. So 
I want you to tell the pastors, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and move out. When you see them going, you are to move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, that's really important. We're going to come back to that. Since you've never been this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark, and make sure that you don't come any closer. So Joshua, he begins to instruct these people. He begins to prepare them to cross the Jordan. He gives specific instructions. He says, hey, these dudes, they're going to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Here's one thing you got to understand. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where God's literal presence dwelt. This was before the Holy Spirit. This was before Jesus. And people didn't have the presence of God dwelling in them like you do right now. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the presence of God everywhere you go. They did not have that. They had the Ark of the Covenant. That's where God's presence lived. That's where it would sit inside the temple. It would sit on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And so this, the Ark of the Covenant, it represented God. It represented God like in fle- almost in flesh, right? Like it represented his physical presence with his people. It was very important. And Joshua was telling these people, hey, When you see God, when you see God's presence going before you, that is where you're supposed to go. Now, what does that have to do with us? I know I'm not the only one in here, but I have a confession to make. I am a control freak. Can I get an amen from somebody I hear? Come on. Who else is a control freak? Be honest. Stephanie was honest. Who else is a control freak? You like to, okay, you like to have a handle on things, right? Okay. I am a control freak. I hate going into situations where I have zero control over it. I don't like it. Planting a church, let me just tell you, is the worst thing possible you can do if you're a control freak because you can't control anything, right? But I try. I'm like, man, if if I can get my hands up, we can do this. And I'm just a control freak. Out of over a million people, do you think that there were people that were part of the Israelites that were also control freaks? Yeah. God knew this. Here's the deal. We all like to think that if we were in control, things would go a lot better. The problem is, is that the people of Israel, they'd already tried this. They've tried to fight God on this. God said, hey, you can get into the promised land. And they kept messing it up time and time again because they tried to take control of the situation. And so God punished them. He said, guess what? None of y'all are going to the, the, the promised land. This whole generation is going to die off, and then your kids are going to get to go to the promised land. And so we're working with a whole group of control freaks. I think some of us are probably on the edge of God doing something crazy in our lives, but we like control too much in order to see that happen. We like to get our hands on stuff and, and hold tightly to it and to think that we can control these situations when God is just asking you to, hey, I want you to just be with me. Follow my lead. Follow my presence. Follow me wherever I go. Don't go ahead of me. Don't try to rush by me. Don't try to influence where I'm going to go. I want you to watch where I'm going, and I want you to follow behind me and come with me. He's inviting you to do the same thing, even if it's at a distance. You know, they had to watch the the ark walk out ahead of them so that they knew where to go. God was reminding them like, hey, this is not your trip. This is not your thing that you're doing. This is the thing I'm doing that you get to be a part of. 
He was forcing them to let go of control. He was forcing them to not worry about where they would end up, but just worry about walking with God's presence. Just worry about walking with God through this whole thing. Here's what I know. You can either control or you can trust, but you can't do both. Some of us, we want all the benefits that we get from trusting God, but without giving up any of the control. You can't get the benefits of trusting God and still maintain control. You can either control or you can trust, but you can't do both. If you want the benefits, if you want to see God do miraculous things in your life and through your life, you have to give up control. It's the only way. And he knew this. He knew that the only way for God's people to truly dwell where they were meant to be and to be fulfilled and to do the things that he had those people do eventually, that they had to give up control. They couldn't, they couldn't take control of the situation. They had to follow behind. They had to watch where God's presence was going, and then they had to get to that point. It's really important. We don't understand that. We can't go on any further. You can't control everything. You have to trust God. Here's the second thing. I'm going to keep going in the story. So God is talking to Joshua now. We're going to skip down a few verses. And God says this to Joshua, give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. So these guys carry my presence. Here's what you're to tell them. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. Now, do y'all remember what that river looked like? I just showed you a picture of it, right? So these guys, they're to carry this big heavy box. It was made of something like heavy metals. It was, it was super precious. You couldn't drop it. You couldn't do any, you know, you had to treat it with respect. And God is saying, hey, when you get down to the banks... They probably expected God to say something like, hey, when you get close, I'll part it and you'll be able to go through. No, 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 no. God says, when you get there, I want you to take a step into the bank. And then I want you to take another step into the banks. And I want you to keep walking. Now, they're hearing this, and uh, I'm sure they were great people. But if they were anything like me, if they were anything like you, they probably started thinking of lots of excuses, right? Like, okay, God, um, hey, I don't know if you know this, this robe is new and it, it can't get wet. You know, like if this robe gets wet, it's gonna get ruined and we don't want a ruined robe, right? Like you surely don't want that. Like you care about how we look. You, you make us wear all this stuff anyway, right? Like now I just got these chacos, God. I don't want to get them wet in the Jordan. Who knows what's down there? What if it's, I won't get my shoes muddy. Are you kidding me? Like, you don't really want me to do that, right? If they were anything like us, I'm sure that they were having these thoughts kind of go through their head a little bit. But here's what I want to camp today. Because I think that a lot of Christians nowadays you, you have the presence of God with you. You carry it wherever you go, but you're not willing to take the uncomfortable step into the Jordan River. You're not willing, you're, you're, you're okay to get to the bank. You're okay to get as close as you can. But when God asks you to take the step and to step down again and to get into it before he does something crazy, we stop. When God asks you, hey, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to do this, but it's going to cost you something. Ah, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to do that, God. I think I'm going to take my step back up here. I think I like, I like my comfortability a little too much. But God's not asking you to be comfortable. Being comfortable is not one of the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's not. If you want to see God do great things in your life, you got to take the step down into the Jordan. You got to get down there. Now, uh, earlier this year, I read a book called uh, Win the Day. Have you ever heard of this book before? It's by a guy named Mark Batterson. If you have not read this book, we're probably going to do a whole sermon series on this book. It is phenomenal. It's one of my favorite books I've ever read. You should read it. It's very, very good. Well, in this book, he talks about a guy named Elisha Otis. Has anyone ever heard of Elisha Otis? Perfect. All right. So y'all, I'm about to blow your minds. Okay. I'm just going to tell you right now. Elisha Otis was a part of the World's Fair in 1858, long time ago. It was held in New York City at the time. And the people that were over this World's Fair, they created the exhibit hall. It was called the Crystal Palace. It was super ornate. It was really tall. It was awesome. It was a big glass structure. Well, Otis, he had invented something uh, called the elevator braking system. Super creative, right? So he had invented the elevator, and he had invented the elevator to be safe. But he was having a hard time selling his idea because no one was willing to give it a shot. No one was willing to get in the elevator and try to test this thing out. And so what did Elisha Otis do? I'll tell you what he did. This joker rolls up to the World's Fair. This is him right here. He's on a platform that's been raised up. And everybody in the exhibit hall, once he got to the top, was able to see Elisha Otis on this thing. And he gets up. And he didn't tell anybody this. No one knew this. But he had assigned a man right here with an axe in his hand. To, to stand above him. And there was one rope that was suspending him from this platform. And he gave that guy with an axe a cue. He said, cut it. And all of a sudden, that man started to cut the rope that, Eli- that was holding up the elevator that Elisha Otis was on. And finally, he gave it one final blow. And all of a sudden, the, the, he cut the rope. And then the, the elevator began to fall. And everybody inside this exhibit began to lose their minds because they were like, we're about to see this dude die right now. And a few feet later, the elevator came to a complete stop. And Elisha Otis looked at the crowd. He says, hey, all safe, everybody, all safe. He made a huge statement that day. And let me just blow your mind a little bit more, Okay. Uh, this happened in 1958. By night, by, before this, there were only three buildings. In 1858, there were only three buildings in all of New York City that were over five stories tall. Why? Because nobody wanted to take the stairs that tall, right? Like you didn't want to walk up there. New York, think about this. At that time in history, they couldn't sell an apartment that was on the top floor of any building because nobody wanted to get up there. Well, after this, by 1890, there were 10 buildings that were 10 stories or higher in New York City. By 1900, just 10 years later, there were 65 buildings that were 20 stories or taller. By 1908, there were 538 buildings that were considered skyscrapers. Now listen to this. At last count, there were 58 thousand elevators in New York City alone. And according to the Otis Elevator Company, which is still operating today, the equivalent of all the world's population rides on their product every three days. Think about that. 
7 billion people ride an elevator at the, uh, at some, you know, at, on some elevator that the Otis Elevator Company makes every three days. That is insane. And it all happened because Elisha Otis cut the rope. It all happened because he decided in that moment, I'm going to cut the rope. I'm going to take away the safety. I'm going to take away, and I'm just going to trust that this thing's going to work. And now, I hate walking upstairs because of elevators. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you get to enjoy the benefits of Elisha Otis cutting the rope. Well, let me tell you, it's time for us, for Christians, to cut the rope. It's time for us to take the risk. You want to know something that's not safe? It's playing it safe. There are too many Christians that carry God's presence that get to the bank of the Jordan River and they decide not to do anything. They play it safe. But that's really the biggest risk you could take because people need you to cut the rope. People need you to step into the Jordan. People need to see God's power. People need to see the benefits of being in God's presence. And if you don't step into the Jordan, if you don't cut the rope, no one will ever see it. He's calling us. He's not calling you to be a safe Christian. That's not a part of God's plan for you. It's just not. You know what? We got to hang out with a guy named Abu that we're going to partner with. He has a ministry in India. Amazing guy. I so wish he could have been here on a Sunday because he would have preached and y'all would have loved it. It was awesome. Abu knows this. And really, anybody that doesn't live in America knows this to be true. Christianity is not safe. Abu has to worry about sending people into the most militarized area of the world where there are zero Christians. And he has vision to plant churches and reach these people that have never heard of Jesus before. And he's tried. And the more, most recently, he sent a guy up there that was a Muslim convert that went back to his hometown to try to start a church, and his own brother killed him. Christianity is not safe. What God is calling us to is not safe. It's risky. It feels risky. But he's calling us to cut the rope. He's calling us to go, look what happens when you trust me. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. When God is asking you to do something, you have no idea what's on the other side of your obedience. You have no idea what's going to happen when you choose to step down into the Jordan. You have no idea what person is found on the other side of that. You have no idea what that step of faith is going to do because it's not just for you. It's really never just for you. It's always to show off God's power and his love to other people. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. And so I'm worried that Christianity is getting too comfortable. We love living in our comfort zone. We love doing stuff as long as it doesn't inconvenience us. We love doing stuff just if it doesn't cost me anything, I'm all in, right? We've created this consumer mentality when it comes to the church. But God is asking you to experience him. And you can't experience all that God has for you if you're going to stay comfortable. This church is not going to be a comfortable church. If you want a comfortable church, go somewhere else. 
Because I want to be with people that are going to step down into the Jordan. They're going to get their feet dirty. They're going to get their hands dirty because there's 93,000 people that need to see that. In this area, in Sumner County, 93,000 people don't go to church anywhere. They're, they're going through divorces. Their, their kids are growing up in split homes. Uh, they're struggling with addictions. They are struggling with depression, with anxiety, with suicidal thoughts. They're struggling. They don't know how they're going to make their ends meet. And they are looking for something. Why not let them see you get your hands dirty, get your feet dirty, and go all in with God? Because when, when you do that, God's going to show up. And people are going to get to experience it with you. How do I know that? Because it happens in this story. It says this. So the people, when they started, when they got to the banks and they started walking in the water, the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them, and it was harvest season. And the Jordan was overflowing its banks. It was flooded. It wasn't a super calm, peaceful thing. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge. As soon as they took that step off the banks and into the water, as soon, like the moment that that happened, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. Some commentators believe that at that exact moment, because this has happened several times throughout history at the Jordan River, by the way, as they think that at that exact moment where their feet touched, there was an earthquake that happened upstream and it blocked river flow coming down to them. It's pretty crazy if you think about it. It's pretty wild. I don't know what happened, but a lot of people speculate that. And it backed up at a town called Adam, uh, and, and the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea, and so the riverbed was dry. So they step in the water. God does something miraculous. The water flow stops. The whitewater rapids, they stopped. In that moment, they stopped. And the water began to drain. And all of a sudden, what was left was dry. There wasn't even mud on the ground. It was dry. It was like walking in the desert. It was dry ground. And they could see all the rocks. They could see everything. There were no fish. It was dry ground. Then all the people, all the people that were watching, all the people that were following behind, all of them, crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle. So here's what happened. They stepped down, they get into the water, and then they stood in the middle of the dry Jordan River. And I love what happens next. It says they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan River. Why? Because I think God wanted everyone to walk by his presence and know that he was with them. If those people, those priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, you can come up, Joey, would have stayed on the, the banks of the Jordan River, those people couldn't have passed by God's presence. Those people wouldn't have walked on dry ground. Those people wouldn't have been able to walk inside that miracle. Those people wouldn't have been able to witness something amazing. Those people would not have known that their God was with them, that their God was for them, and that their God was acting on their behalf. They would have never known. There are people dying in this community for you to do the same thing. There are people dying in this community to, to uh, they might not even be able to articulate it, but they're desperate for God's presence. They're desperate to see God do something. They're desperate to just walk by God's power and his presence. They're desperate and they're never going to see it if we don't take the first step. 
as a church, we got to go for it. We got to cut the rope, leave it out all on the field because that's where God's power is found. That's where God's presence is, is, is found is when you cut the rope, when you step into the Jordan, when you do these things and you trust God, you actively trust God with something. That is why I'm telling you, we're going to be meeting on September on Sunday mornings. We're cutting the rope. We're not meeting here in September. Why? That sounds crazy. I feel crazy saying it, but God's going to do it. It ain't going to be because I'm not walking that it ain't going to happen. I'm telling you, God wants to do, he's waiting on us to just show some faith. There are people dying for community. There are people desperate for community. Guess what? Invite them to the movie on Saturday. Take the invites, cut the rope, cut the rope, take the risk, invite somebody. They can have fun. They can go see a movie and they might meet somebody that would, they could come here and experience God's presence for the first time ever. Invite someone to church. Bring them with you. Say, I'll take you out to eat. After. I don't care. Cut the rope. Take the risk. Who cares if they tell you no? They're already not coming anyway, right? If they tell you no, it's not a big deal. But what if they say Yes. What if you decide to take the step into the river and they say yes and they come and they experience God's presence and God, they start a relationship with Jesus and all of a sudden their marriage gets better. All of a sudden their kids come to know Jesus. All of a sudden their whole life looks different. All because you just asked them to come to church with you. Why would we not do this? I'm fired up right now. I've already preached this once today. I'm telling I'm fired up. Because I can see what God wants to do. I, we moved here for it. There's revival happening in this community. Why not here? But I think some of us got to get past the uncomfortableness and get like involved and experience it. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't know the goodness of God if you're not able, if you're not willing to experience God. You have to pick it up. You have to taste it. You have to see it. You have to go all in on it. Do it with us. Come on, this place, man, we got plenty of room for people. Bring them. If they tell you no, I'm, I'm, keep asking, keep praying. I love this community too much, man. We gotta, we gotta get some people to experience God's presence. I don't, honestly, they don't need to experience Clint. Clint's not that impressive. I'll tell you, if you lived with me for one day, you'd realize ah, he ain't that cool. But God's pretty awesome. God can change everything. God can part a, a whitewater rapid river and cross. you can cross on dry ground. That's pretty cool. I can't do that. I would have gotten in a kayak or something and rode across. But that's not nearly as cool. You never know what's on the other side of your obedience. You never know what's on the other side of your invite. You just got to get off the bank, step in the river. That's what I'm asking you to do this week. Take the risk. Send the text message. Invite somebody here. Invite somebody to Saturday. Do something. Take the, the little risk because here's what I know. If you play it safe, that's the most unsafe thing you can do. I'm ready, man. I'm telling you, I think God is on the verge of doing something special. I really do. And that's the, sometimes the only thing that gets me here on Sunday nights. I'm tired sometimes, but I know God's on the verge. And if we just don't grow weary in doing good, 
He'll do it. I talked about this to our team, then I'll be done. I'll shut up. I'm going too long. Um, I talked about that verse to our team a couple weeks ago. There's a verse that says, don't grow weary at doing good for at the right time, you will reap a harvest. Now, let me tell you what that verse means. How many women in here have given birth before? I hear it's terrible, okay? Uh, Apparently, being in labor sucks. I'm just gonna say it. Sorry if that word offends you in church, but is there a better way to describe labor? No, it's awful, right? And Stephanie's had the privilege of laboring in lots of different ways uh, over the course of her tenure of being a mother. Uh, But I don't know what it's like, but that phrase, don't grow weary in doing good, is actually a phrase that they would tell moms who are in labor. And so if you're a mother and you've given birth before, um, apparently there's a point in labor where your brain is like, I cannot do this. I don't want to do this and it's not worth it, right? Like you get to this point where you're like, the reward is not good enough. Like, and it's at that moment where the mom wants to give up. This happened to Stephanie. I actually spoke to her during this point when she was giving birth to Lucy. I said, can I do anything for you, babe? And she said, never do this to me again, right? Like that's what she said. She was at the point where she was like, I don't think I can do this. You said that several times, exhausted, in between contractions, she's falling asleep. It was crazy. But that was right before the moment when we gave birth to our little girl. I think this church is at that moment. We've been giving birth to this thing. I feel like we've been in labor for hours. But we can't grow weary in doing good because there's something on the other side of this. There's a harvest. And if we just don't give up, we'll reap the harvest. There's a principle in the Bible of sowing and reaping. And we've been sowing faithfulness. We've been sowing and serving our community. We've been sowing generosity. And I'm telling you, if we just don't stop, God's gonna do something. But it's gonna be because we decide together to go all in. We can't grow tired right now. You can't. There's too much good on the other side. Stephanie, she couldn't have given up even if she wanted to while you're in labor. But right on the other side of that is a baby. Right on the other side of this, who knows what's there? But I can promise you the reward is worth every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears that you pour into this place. But it's gonna require all of us to jump in and go, hey, I'm not giving up. I'm showing up next week. I, even though it's Sunday nights, it's convenient. You have all day to think about to, on Monday. You have all day to think about Monday and come up with a thousand excuses not to be here. Get here, bring somebody with you because it's worth it. Stepping into the Jordan is worth it. Cutting the rope is worth it every time. We can't grow weary in doing good. We gotta get down there because that's where God's power is. That's where God's presence is. And too many people are gonna walk, there are too many people that need to walk by God's presence on dry ground and see that their God is with them and that their God is for them. Amen? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. You know, this story is amazing. But it's also a story of what Jesus did for us. You see, before you know Jesus, you're wandering, it's like you're wandering around in a wilderness. But we know that heaven, what the life that God has for us, it's in the promised land. And there's no way to cross the Jordan River on your own. The Bible says all of us is sin. We've done stuff wrong. We've done stuff that God doesn't like, and that's called sin. And that sin separates us. And it puts a Jordan River in between us and God. But God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. 
And Jesus came to earth and he lived the perfect life that you could never live. And he paid the price that you could never pay. And he died on the cross. And guess what? He split the Jordan River to where you can walk across on dry ground if you just trust. He paid your price. And there's a home in heaven waiting on you. But there's an abundant life waiting on you right now here on earth that you get to live in if you decide to follow Jesus. And if you've never made that decision, I wanna invite you to make that decision today. If that's you, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you wanna do that today, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you up front. I just wanna see you so I can pray for you. If that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, come on. All right, put your hands down. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I invite you into my life. And in the best way I know how, I'll follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, y'all give a hand to the people that made that decision tonight. Woo, I'm excited. I'm about to, oh, we have church again next week. It's gonna be great. Hey, uh, I'm super excited. Next week, we're gonna talk about, I think, unless God changes this again, we're gonna talk about them defeating Jericho. Man, endurance is what we're gonna talk about next week. I think it's gonna be really good. Um, But 4th of July, the week after that, do not show up at church. But show up with us at the Wellhouse. So Wellhouse, I've been uh, preaching at another church on Sunday mornings. I became friends with their pastor when we moved back to town, and then their pastor resigned earlier this year. And so I had been around a couple times helping them lead worship, you know, before we started. And they said, hey, do you mind coming and just preaching for us? And I've preached there a ton. Um, and I preach the same messages I preach here. So it's been pretty cool. But we've become really close with that church. It's been really cool. It's been a great relationship. There's no ego. We're not competing. We get to work together to, to do some damage on earth. You know what I'm saying? I hope the devil's shaking in his boots right now, seeing two churches come together and be friends. Well, they've invited us to come join them. They've been, they're about six years old. They probably have a hundred people that come to their church and uh, they've invited us to come be a part of their 4th of July deal. Bring a side or bring a dessert, but come and hang, meet some people uh, that we get to partner with to do ministry together in this community. I think it's super awesome. We're going to be there. They're going to have fireworks. They're going to have Meat sweats, barbecue. If you've never had meat sweats, woo, come on, so it's good. I'll tell you right now. Um, and it's going to be a ton of fun. That's going to be at 6.30 on 4th of July at a place called Tyree Hollow. All right? I don't know where that is. I just know the name of it. And look just look on social media. You'll see where it is. And, uh, and we'll announce it next week as well. But be sure you're there at that. And come help us on Saturday. Show up and be ready to greet people, to smile. All you gotta do is smile. Say, oh, I'm so glad you're here today. Oh, is this your little one, right? Just be nice, that's all I want you to do. And Steph and I are gonna quickly share about our church. Hey, if you wanna find your people, your place, and your purpose, come be a part of what we're doing here. And we're just gonna show a movie. It's gonna be a lot of fun. But hey, I love you. I know today was a little bit like a coach and a face mask type moment, but I love you. I think the world of you. So happy that all of you are here today. We'll see you next week. We're going to wrap up this series. It's going to be awesome, I promise you. But hey, if you need anything this week, holler at us, and we'll see you soon, okay? Y'all have a good one.